let me add my welcome to Steve's. It's great to have all of you with us this morning. If I've not met you yet, and there's certainly many people who are joining us online that I've not met yet. My name is Neil Davidson, and I'm the pastor here at Oak Chapel. It's great to welcome you to our services today. For those of you who are joining us through Sunday Morning Live, we, we have a full house this morning. That doesn't mean every seat is taken, but every available seat is pretty taken at 9 o'clock. But we have a lot of room at our 6 o'clock service on Saturday nights, as well as our 11 o'clock service on Sunday morning. So if you'd like to join us in future weeks to move from being the scattered church to reconnecting and being part of the gathered church, reconnecting is not even the right terminology, but coming back and being part of the gathered church, we'd love to have you come be a part of us. And, uh, but welcome to all of you today. I'm going to do my best to look at the camera some, so that doesn't mean I'm ignoring the rest of you. Last week I didn't do such a good job at that, so I'm going to try to do a little bit better this morning to engage our, our group who's joining us online. You know, I want to start off with just a moment of prayer, right? I mean, you, if you've been reading the news or listening to the news, you, you, there is no shortage of opinions about the ways in which we are broken and divided as a country, the reasons why we are broken and divided as a, in a, as a country, and there's no shortage of opinion about what we need to do about it to bring us back together. But here's the focus that I want to take in our prayer this morning. You and I, as the people of God, are called to be pacemakers. It's our job to bring people back into a relationship with God and back together as they get closer to God. Our job is to be bridge builders, right? To be peacemakers. And so what I want to spend some time, you know, we, we may disagree about what's really wrong and what needs to be done about it and all those kinds of things, but I hopefully all of us can agree that our job as God's people is to be bridge builders, to be peacemakers that bring people together as we bring, lead them back to God. And so I want to pray for just a moment that each of us would find our own way to do that. One of the thoughts that struck me a lot this past week, there are over 150 million people in America who claim to be believers, to be Christians. And if every single one of those 150 million people just built a bridge to somebody else who's different than them, it would be a radical impact on our nation, right? Just, just one bridge. Just build one bridge and walk over it. So let's pray together for just a moment, and then we'll get into our message for today. I'm going to give you just, just a moment to reflect, to, to, to connect with God about being a peacemaker, being a bridge builder, connecting with someone. Maybe God will bring a name to mind of somebody that you could connect with, whether it's a work in your neighborhood or an old high school friend or a college buddy or whatever, just, to, just, just, just pray for a moment silently about the ways that God would use you as a peacemaker. God, we confess to you this morning that we find what you ask us to do to be very intimidating and overwhelming. But Father, we don't want to shirk from the role that you've given us. That because we know you and we know the way to you, we can lead others there. And with that, we can lead people back together again. God, I pray that you would make each of us peacemakers in our own world. That we would be, build bridges to those who are different than us. And then we'd walk across those bridges and serve them in the name of Christ. 
God, use us as a church. As Hope Chapel is a part of the faith community in Massachusetts, is a part of the faith community of the United States, is a part of the faith community of the world. Use us as your church to fulfill your will and to be peacemakers. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, we've just been praying about the, the brokenness, right, that's just kind of glaringly obvious in our world today, right? If it's not coronavirus, I mean, think about it. You guys are sitting here with masks on, separated by six to eight feet from one another. Whatever. Very different, right? We've got issues that are going on in our country. There's protests taking place and police that are being mobilized. And, you know, the MBTA is at odds with the state police. And you got all these. And it's just a broken and kind of divided world, right? And we look at it. And if you think about it very much, you know it's a very complex scenario. If there were easy fixes, we would have fixed it already, right? But I want to suggest to you that it shifts from being just complex to being intimidating when we take what's going on in the world today, and really, this is nothing new. It's been going on for a long time in our world, right? Almost since the moment of the fall, because it's all rooted in lostness. But when you look at what's going on in our world and we see how complex it is and, and et cetera, and then we lay it over the premise that we've been discovering and learning about in the book of Esther, it goes, from being just, it goes from being just complex to actually being downright intimidating. Because if you remember, as we launched into our study last week of the book of Esther, and I'd love for you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Esther, it's in the Old Testament. So those of you who are at home and, and grabbing a Bible, not exactly sure where, where Esther is, your Bibles always have a table and contents in the front, right? So feel free to use it in the front. It'll give you a page number. You can go right there. But in addition to that, the, the Bible's divided into two, two testaments, if you will, the Old and the New. Esther is in the Old Testament. If you see the book of Psalms, the easiest one to find because it's the biggest book, it's going to be just a little bit to the left, a little bit back towards the front, mixed in with Ezra and Nehemiah. And, and what we've been learning from the book of Esther is that God sometimes, in His sovereignty, chooses to exercise His sovereignty through his people. What you see in the book of Esther is that the people of God were actually threatened with extermination, right? The, the worst that you could have, right? It was going to be a genocide of the Jewish people. And God delivered his people through his people. And when you take that lens and you back up and you look at, all right, we look at our world and we see the prevalence of lostness in our world, right? And all of the fruit that comes from that, it goes, and, and it's very challenging, very complex, hard to, and then we pull it over and say, and, and we might be the answer to our very own prayer of bringing healing to our land. Then it gets to be, oh, you know, right? I mean, most of us in here, we, we, we own homes or we rent homes or whatever, and, and we encounter, if you own stuff, you have to fix it, right? Stuff breaks, right? And for the most of us, you know, there's certain things we come across and it's not a big deal to us, right? We, the water filter or the light bulb in the refrigerator needs to be replaced. You know what? I can figure that out. I'll just pull up YouTube, right? You know, and, and, and away we go, right? And in and, and, and some other settings, like Christina and I not too long ago, our refrigerator just wouldn't get cold enough. 
So I said, you know, I, I can deal with this. So I pulled the refrigerator out, right? Took the back panel off. And I'm looking at the wiring diagram. <laughs> I'm looking at the computer panel that's on the back of it. You know, the, the motherboard. I'm like, you know what? Where, where's the repairman's number, right? Because it was just above my pay grade, right? You know, and, 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 and you think there's some things we're ready to tackle and some things we just want to back off. We want to call somebody else, right? And, and that's, I think that's true for us spiritually. I mean, I used this illustration last night. If we can fix it with WD-40 or with duct tape, right? Sign us up. If it gets much more complicated than that, we want somebody else to do it, right? We apply this over to our spirit, what's going on spiritually for us, right? Hey, listen, if it's, a, if it's an elderly old lady on the side of the road with a flat tire, I'll stop. I'll put her spare on. Problem solved, right? If it's, if it's a single mom who needs to move from one apartment to another, sign me up. I'll be there on a Saturday morning. I'll help them move, right? But you're talking about penetrating the darkness in a way that brings a preachable thinks that where's the number to the repairman? So then we want to reach out to God and then God rings our number, right? And, and, then, and then what do we do, right? And so what I want to talk to us about today is how is it that you and I, what are some of the characteristics that we need to have if we are actually going to be the instruments that God wants us to be in answering our prayer when we pray every day, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? I mean, sometimes we are the answer to that prayer, that it's our engagement of the world that actually allows God's will to be done and his love and his peace to be spread, forgiveness to be proclaimed. Now, listen, I... Right up front, I want to be very clear with all of us, right? Including those who are joining us online. I, I do not, you know, I do not expect every single one of us to be the next Abraham Lincoln, right? You know, or some other major figure in history that changes everything, right? You know, I, you could say, you know, Pastor, you could preach until Christmas and you're not going to convince me that I'm going to become one of these major world figures that's going to change the world. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I believe if, if, if you just will embrace the challenge of doubling the size of your spiritual footprint and everybody in God's church embraces the challenge of doubling the size of our spiritual footprint, it'll have a major impact on the world. But what does it take to make that happen, right? And so I want to go back to the book of Esther and I want to look at some characteristics that we see in Mordecai and in Esther that allowed them to fulfill their destiny, right? We were just thinking about that God's given us a new destiny that was allowing them to fulfill their destiny to be God's instruments that he used to deliver his people, right? And there's five characteristics I really want us to look at this morning, and we'll do so fairly quickly. But some of you might say, you know, geez, you know, their world wasn't right, kind of, you know, and, 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 it, it, it's not as complex, it wasn't as challenging. Their problems were easier than ours. You know, so first of all, what I want to just, I want to remind us of some of the context in which the book of Esther takes place. First of all, Esther herself, she was not born and bred to fulfill this role. Esther was an orphan. An orphan living in a foreign land because her nation had been defeated. She was an orphan who had been human trafficked, and mercifully, she was, she was adopted by her cousin, 
And somehow or another, in a biblical Cinderella story, she ended up being the queen of the nation. This was not an easy nation to be a part of as a woman. If you read through the first couple of chapters of the book of Esther, the number one concern of the men who were in charge is that they did not want the women to think for themselves. Right? And so this whole scenario that took place with Vashti, Vashti the queen, when she refused to obey the king's command, all of that sent out shockwaves saying, what happens if women all over the world start asking the question of, hey, I can do what I want to do. I don't have to do what you tell me to do. And so they wanted to make sure they clamped that down, right? It, it was, it was a, this was a world of, of totalitarianism, right? You had one guy who called all the shots, and if he said this whole village got destroyed, the whole village got destroyed and everybody in it. I mean, it was an oppressive society full of ethnic conflict and division and, 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 and a brutality and a lack of moral compass. It was a bad world. Now, you could change the labels to today, but they had many of the same problems that we have. And here you have this woman, right? Here you have this woman, born as an orphan, living in a foreign land, that God elevates to this position, the Cinderella position, if you will, right? To, 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 and, and God uses to deliver his people. And I think as we back up and we look through some of these challenges... Again, my, my invitation for you today is to think about these characteristics and say, what role can they play in doubling the size of my spiritual footprint in the places where I live, in the places where I go? Here's, here's five things I want to give you, right? So we're going to work through several passages in, in the book of uh, Esther as we go along. And it's not so much plant in one, but draw out some insights from all the stories. And here's the very first characteristic I'm going to give you. And I think you're going to find it counterintuitive, but I hope you find it powerful. The very first characteristic of those that God uses to exercise his, his providence and his sovereignty through, the very first characteristic that stands out is teachability. Teachability. Now, the reason why I say I think that's somewhat counterintuitive most of us, when we want to sign up to follow after somebody, we want to follow somebody who's got all the answers, right? <laughs> you know, we, we, we want to follow the guy who knows how to get there, right? We want somebody who has it all together, got all the answers, been there, done that, and we can follow them as the expert, right? You know, if we're going to submit ourselves to surgery, we don't want the doctor asking questions, the surgeon asking questions, right? You know, but, well, how do I do this, right? We want them to be a master of it, right? But I got to tell you, I think it is incredibly important for us to recognize that if we're going to be the people that God uses to make a difference in our world, that if we are going to be the church that God can use to exercise his providence and sovereignty through, we have to be people who are teachable. And here, here are two reasons why I want to suggest this to you. And the list could go longer than this. But first of all, let me, let me just point out where this takes place in the text. If you look at Esther chapter 2, right, Esther is, is, God has worked through a system and she's gotten to a place where she is actually in the, the lottery, if you will, to become the next queen of Persia, the greatest planet, the greatest nation on the planet at the time. And when we look at Esther, right, who has already been selected because she's special, right, she's 
beautiful and etc. So she's she's already got a lot to puffer up, right? And she's also got a dad who's really not her dad. And as a teenage girl or, or as a young adult, she could say, you know, you're not my father, right? Kind of idea. And look at the characteristics that we learn from her. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2, right? Esther did not reveal her ethnicity or her family background, that's to those who were over her, because Mordecai had ordered her not to make them known. She was in following the instruction or the teaching of her adopted dad, who was her, her, um, her, actually her cousin. Look at verse 20, following up the same thing, right? It says, Esther had not revealed her family background or her ethnicity as Mordecai had directed. She obeyed Mordecai's orders as she always had while he raised her. Here, here's the woman who is being elevated to being queen, and yet she remains teachable to those who have already proven themselves trustworthy in her life. Another example, look at verse 15. So Esther was a daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who would adopt her as his own daughter. And when her time came to go to the king, so the way this was working in this beauty pageant, this lottery, every evening the, the, the king would, would audition or interview a different woman, right? So when her turn came to go, right, she did not ask for anything except what Hedgie, the king's eunuch, keeper of the women, suggested. And Esther gained favor in the eyes of every woman who saw her. And if you look through the text earlier, it says, every time when it got to a be a point and a woman was ready to go and have her interview with a king, Right? She could have anything she wanted to succeed. Any clothes she wanted, this or that, whatever. Anything was at, everything was at her disposal, right? When Esther got to that moment, she turned to the guy who had showed her favor, and she said, what do you think I should do? She's teachable. Right? She's teachable. And, and it follows along. You go into chapter 4, you see the same principle at work. When, when, when doom is now on the horizon for the Jewish people, her uncle, her, her, um, her father, Mordecai, goes into mourning and he's making it very public. And she tries to intervene by sending him clothes so he can look better and all that kind of stuff. And because he's ripped his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And she's like, you know, you look terrible. You know, here's a gift certificate to Banana Republic. You know, we'll try to get you a little bit more up to date kind of idea. And he said, no, 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 no. And, and he said, you need to do something about this. And she said, listen, I, I have not been invited to go into the king's presence for 30 days. So I, I, I'm kind of on the outside looking in. And I know that if I go to the king and he hasn't summoned me, it's more likely than not that I'm going to die because that is a, that is a, um, a terminal offense, right? If you go into the king's presence without his invitation and he does not welcome you, it's a death sentence. And Mordecai responds to her and he says, listen, God's going to deliver his people one way or another. But don't underestimate the fact that your life is in jeopardy with all the rest of us. And she remains teachable. And she devises a plan to make a difference. 
And then right out of that, she sends instructions to Mordecai. And he said, this is what I need you to do. And he does exactly what she had said to him. He follows her lead, right? And, and so there is a mutual teachability going on. It's an absolutely critical characteristic for us as the people of God. Sometimes I think, well, I mean, obviously we know the answer in Jesus, right? But there's many other things that we need to learn. And, 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 and so I, I believe this idea of growth, change, remaining teachable is deeply rooted in the biblical principle of putting off the old and putting on the new. God constantly calls us to be people who are being transformed, being changed. And as we are changed, that means we, in order to, for that to happen, we have to be teachable. So if we get to a place where we say, I know all I want to know, I know all I need to know, therefore don't teach me anything. When we get to that place, our spiritual journey and our spiritual usefulness begins to just, just dry up all around us. Here's the other point, I think, that why this is so critical. And, and, and it's evident in the story because there's this partnership between Mordecai and Esther, but it actually flows out into the Jewish community beforehand. We need to do this together, right? Making a difference in the world as instruments of God's sovereignty and God's providence is something that we do together. It's not something that I do by myself. It's something that we need to do together. We are the body of Christ, right? And so collectively and individually, we are the light of the world. That means we need to be communicating and learning from one another, right? You know, one of the things that I prize most in my life is the fact that I have people in my orbit who don't think the way that I do. They don't look at issues and situations the way that I do. And with it, I can learn from them because they see things that I don't see and vice versa, because we remain teachable. It doesn't mean that this is up for negotiation as whether or not this is really true or not and, and, and what are the core teachings of it, but how I live it out in the world, if everybody in your life is saying the same thing, if everybody in your spiritual community is saying the same thing, you're not in a place where you're going to be as healthy. You need people in your life who see things differently, and then in that context of trust, be teaching one another how to be more like Christ in the world. It's powerful stuff. Teachability. Sometimes we think we have to have all the answers. I really got to tell you, in order to be God's instruments in the world of his providence and sovereignty, we just have to be teachable so that he can lead us. Here's the second truth I want to give you. We need to engage. You can lay it out a little bit front. We need to engage to be a part of the solution. And I mean that in contrast to engaging so that we can protect the status quo. We need to engage to be a part of the solution, right? But I really want to focus on that word engage. You know, um, to engage means to participate, to be active, right? And, 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 I, and I, I, the, the, the teaching of Jesus that echoes in the back of my mind as I read and, and think about what God's asking Esther and Mordecai to do, what he's asking us to do. As Jesus says, if any, of you among, if any among you wants to be great, he must be the servant of all. You have to serve. It's something you have to do. We need to engage 
with the issue. There's a lot of it to say, I, I, I just don't want to have any. I'm just backing up. I'm out. Just let somebody else deal with it. This, this, and that can be related to lostness. Simply even just sharing our faith with other people. So you know what? That's somebody else's job. That's not mine. Right? It, it, it is going to be forefront in our lives. We have to engage. We have to be active. You see this in the, in the text. And, you know, Mordecai, on several different occasions, one at the end of chapter two, when Esther has just kind of been selected to be the queen, she's still kind of on thin ice, really doesn't know what to do. He's sitting by the, the king's gate on a regular basis. He overhears a plot to assassinate the king. He doesn't just say, you know what? I'm just going to mind my own business. I'm a Jew living in a foreign land. Anything that happens to this country in a bad way is good to me, right? He doesn't disengage. He engages. He shares what he knows. And God uses it. You see a little later in the story when, when the plot is hatched from, for all of the Jews to be exterminated on a certain day on, in, in the midst of the year, Mordecai goes public with his grief. It's not like he tears his clothes and puts on sackcloth and ashes, which is a traditional form of grieving in the Jewish community, and then just sit in his house for nobody to see it. He goes and he puts himself out there publicly. He engages. He's making a message out of it. And it goes right through with Esther. She's reluctant to get involved, but eventually she hatches a plan and she goes to the king and she waits to be summoned, knowing that her life is hanging in it, but she engages in the midst of it. You, you, you got you to gotta participate. Now, that's different things for different people. But just to, to sit back and to say, this is somebody else's problem to solve. And God's trying to ring our spiritual phone saying, I need you to go make a difference. We have to be willing to engage. We got to be teachable. We also have to be willing to engage. Here's the third fact that I really want you to see out of this text. God isn't asking you to do something with what you don't have. He's not asking you to do something that you're not in a position to fulfill. What God's asking you to do is use what you have where you are to make a difference for him. Let me say that again. God's asking you to use what you have where you are to make a difference for him. Let me give you just some of the drawbouts from the book of Esther about this and then give you some other biblical examples, right? When you think about Esther, right, and Mordecai's outside of the palace. He's doing everything he can outside of the palace to make a difference. He makes his grief known. He gathers the Jewish community to pray and to fast for Esther for three days before she goes into the king. He's doing what he can with what he has to make a difference. Esther's inside the palace. The day comes at the end of the three days of prayer and fasting. What does she do? She puts on her royal robes, right? She said, you know what? I want to look beautiful when I get there, right? I'm going to use every asset that God's given me so that when the king lays his eyes on me in a place that I'm not supposed to be, he's not going to say, take her to the dungeon and put the ends of it, I want him to extend his scepter to me so that I can come into his presence and intervene for the people of God. She uses everything that it had at her disposal 
to make a difference, right? Using what you have, where you're at, to make a difference for God. Let me give you some biblical examples, right? And, 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 and it got some interesting conversation about all of this, right? You know, um, one of the favorite stories we like to teach our children out of the Scripture is about the feeding of the 5,000, right? Matthew chapter 14, some other places in the Gospels as well. The feeding of the 5,000, right? The, the, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, the people are getting hangry, right? You know, they're, they're, they're getting hangry. We, we, we got to get these people out of here because they're hungry. The day's growing old. It's a long walk. You know, the nearest convenience store is, you know, we, we, don't have, we, we got no money. We, we got to get these people out of here, right? And Jesus says, you know, no, 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 no. You feed them. They're like, hey, listen, let us say again, we, we got no money, right? There are no stores. We can't buy food for these people. This is, Jesus isn't saying, you know, and then, and then he said, well, tell me, what do you have? What do you have? And they say, well, you know what? We, we stole this kid's happy meal. They, they didn't steal it, right? They, so we, we, got, we got five loaves and two fishes. Jesus says, have the people put, sit down. They took what they had. Where they were at, right out in the middle of the field, they put it into the hands of God. God fed the people. I mean, I know it's so well, that's, that's great on paper, but that's not the way it works in my world. Well, you know, it's a challenge, right? No doubt about it. Think about, think about David, King David, right? He, he, we are introduced to David, right? In, 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 um, in the Old Testament, David is the, young, is, the, the, is the young child of Jesse, all of his brothers are out at the front, right? And the way the army worked in those days was that your family sent food to you so that you could survive. You didn't have these meals ready to eat, the MREs that had like 5,000 calories in them and all that kind of other stuff that the, the army has available now to people in, in other branches of the service. Your, your family actually brought you food. So David's jo job was to bring the food out. He gets there and it's just the morning muster, right? Just in time for the morning muster. And all the Philistines are standing on one side of the valley and all the Israelites are standing on the other side. And there's this human tank out in the middle of the, of the field by the name of Goliath who's threatening the armies of the living God. And nobody wants to go fight him. And David said, you know, who, who, is this, who is this uncircumcised heathen to be threatening the armies of the living God? I'll go out there and take care of them. And what is their first reaction, right? So, all right, we're going to let you do this, but you, you, you got to wear the king's armor, right? So here's a sword, here's a shield. And David, you know, he can't move into stuff because it's not him. It's not his, right? So David says, listen, that stuff's not going to work. I need to go out there with my slingshot and my stones. And I can slay this giant. He used what he had, where he was at, and God brought deliverance. You know, Another example, just to convince you with this, right? Because we want to get so absorbed with what we don't have, just focus on what we do have and use it where we're at as instruments of God's sovereignty and providence to make a difference for the gospel and to bring and, and to represent God's compassion and mercy in the world. Now, just one more example, you know. 
Moses, right? Some of you are very familiar with the story in the book of Exodus. You know, he, he was raised in the, uh, unlike, unlike um, Esther, who was imported into the palace, Moses was raised in the palace, right? He thought he had it figured out on how to bring deliverance for God's people. He wanted to do it his own way, and he kills an Egyptian, has to flee. He spent 40 years now living in the desert, being a shepherd, taking care of some sheep, and God shows up to speak to him. And, and, and it, what's his first reaction? You got the wrong guy. Been there, done that, didn't work. You need to find somebody else. I just don't have the skill set for this, right? And what does God say to him? What do you got in your hand? Remember that? What, what do you got in your hand? Well, I got a staff. Every shepherd has a staff. God says, well, throw it on the ground. And it turns into a snake, right? And then he grabs it by the tail and it turns back into a staff. God's simply asking you and I to use what we have where we're at for his kingdom purposes. You may not be the queen in the palace with lots of servants around you. You may be the old guy sitting at the gate with his clothes ripped. But God's looking to use us where we're at with what we have to make a difference. We have to be teachable. We have to engage we have to be ready to use what God's given us. Third, third um, four, fourth thing I want to talk about, just real quickly as our time's starting to, to run away from us. We have to be ready to speak boldly for what's right. We have to be ready to speak boldly for what is right. Now, let me clarify, right? That does not mean that we have to speak loudly. I, I think there are are too many Christian leaders today who, whose major objective is just to get their name in the papers, right? Or, and to be invited onto the broadcast to give their opinions. It's not about speaking loudly, right? I think there's ways in which this isn't about speaking obnoxiously. Our objective in speaking for what is right is not necessarily to tick other people off, right? Or to make them feel bad. That's not what God's asking us to do. But when the moment is right, God does indeed expect us to speak the truth and stand to the truth. We can do that with gentleness and with love, but with conviction and with certainty, we can do so boldly. I think you see this in Mordecai in several different cases in, in the thing, in particular when he's willing to go into, you know, the, the way the rule worked, right, was that when you got inside of the fortress walls where the palace was, the, no mourning was allowed, right? If you were sick, if you were sad or whatever, and you didn't look your best, you were not allowed into the presence of the king. If you were going to be around the king or even inside of his household, you had to have a big smile on and you needed to be having the best day of your life, right? I mean, that was the requirement. So what does Mordecai do? He gets right up to the gate. He's not going to violate, he's going to step over, but he's going to make the loudest statement he can. So he sits right outside the gate in the midst of his grief as he thinks about what is being planned to destroy his people. He speaks boldly what is right 
and true in God's eyes. Esther, the same thing. When the moment finally comes for, for her to answer the king's question, he said, what is it that you want from me? What are you requesting of me? You've invited me to dinner two nights in a row, and you've had me bring Haman. What is it that you want from me? I'm willing to give you half of my kingdom. And this is what she simply says, I just don't want to die at the hands of the evil Haman. Very clear, very specific. In fact, if you look at her statement, there's a, there's a ton of humility. She said, if this was only about slavery, I wouldn't even have brought it up. But because he's planning on destroying all of us, I'm asking you to spare my life and the life of all of my people. She spoke boldly and clearly. And we need to be ready to speak. Again, not to be obnoxious, not to be divisive, not to do any of those, not that we're trying to shout other people down, but we're simply supposed to be ready to speak what is right in the eyes of God. We need to be ready to speak boldly. I got one last point, right? Got to be teachable so we can follow after the one who has all the answers and that we can do this together. Right? Because we, we, we need to learn from one another. Teachable. We need to engage, right? We need, we need to use what we have where we're at. It's not about what you don't have. It is about what you do have. It's not about the stuff that you don't know. It is about the stuff that you do know. Being used, we need to use what we have where we're at, right? And then we, need to be, we actually need to be ready to speak. Because words matter, right? Words matter. But the last thing is we have to be ready to embrace the risk. You know, I don't know if we really appreciate the dynamic that was going on with Esther. She said, you know, I, I haven't been invited into the presence of the king in 30 days, right? And if anybody shows up at the king's courtroom uninvited, they can be sentenced to death. So she's literally taken all literally taking her life in her hands, right? So she gets, on the appointed day, she gets all dressed up, use everything that's at her disposal, and she comes in and, and she just, she stands at the entranceway to the king's courtroom. And the king comes in and he sits down in his chair and he looks out and he sees her. So it's a, everything's on the line, right? Everything's on the line. Praise God, he extends the scepter to her and she lives, doesn't always work out that way. You know, we, we, we read a book like Daniel, right? And we read about Shad, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and how they're thrown into the fire, and they come out smelling like roses, right? i got to tell you, there are a lot of saints who got thrown into the fire, and they came out in urns. Just go read Hebrews chapter 11. For all the great victories, there were those who got shot in half, right? And I think some of the challenges for us sometimes is that we're not really ready to pay the price that we know that can come from standing for what is right in the eyes of God. It takes risk. You know, even though we are supposed to be peacemakers, Jesus also alerts us to the fact that we're going to divide people because truth and sin are always going to separate. And so it's, and there's risk that goes there. And, and we need to be ready to embrace that risk. I don't think any of you are going to lose your lives over what you believe to be right. But it can change some relationships. It can change some of your opportunities. And the list can just go right on down the line. I, I, so, listen, I, I want to, 
I want to, um, I want to, as, as we wrap up this morning, right? First, first thing I really want to say is that if you've never experienced the peace that comes from having a relationship with God so that you can be a peacemaker, I want to invite you to have that relationship. The number one problem that needs to be dealt with in the world is the problem of sin. And God's addressed that through what Christ did on the cross for us. And my invitation to you today is then to embrace that forgiveness and to become a child of God, stay teachable, and begin that journey. And if that's a step that you're ready to take today, I'm going to be out in the parking lot after the service is over. I'd love to chat with you, some other stuff about how you can take those steps forward as you go there. But I also felt like this message was, was, was waiting. I mean, you know, it's, this is an intimidating message, right? You know, it, it, it's, it's very intimidating. I, I understand that. It's intimidating for me, right? And I wanted to conclude not with my words. I wanted to conclude with Jesus' words. And this is what Jesus says. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever's willing to lose their life, who's willing to risk it by speaking up for God, whoever's willing to lose his life because of me, will save it. Maybe we all be people who are ready to lose our lives for Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the challenge from your word today. I think I speak for all of us that we would rather have you come down and do a Red Sea, parting the Red Sea kind of moment and deal with everything that's before us. But God, today we accept and recognize that you do want to exercise your providence and your sovereignty through us. You want to love the world and heal it through us as you've done in Jesus Christ. Father, today I pray that we would be teachable people who engage with what we have, where we're at, and we'd be willing to speak the truth out of faithfulness for you, to you, no matter what happens down the road. God, lead us to lose our lives because we can trust that you will save them. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.